Hello, I am Sebastian Teotrio. And I'm Alex Hollingsworth. Welcome to The Hidden Curriculum, a podcast where we talk about all the stuff you didn't learn in graduate school. For today's episode, we're going to talk or have a conversation about several tips to how to prepare for your first class. And we're going to take an approach of thinking about the first lecture and then kind of like the weeks ahead. Alex, how are you doing today? Doing great. great. It's a good Friday. It's beautiful outside. Just ready to uh, sort of Excellent. get on with the weekend. What about Humidity you? It is uh, really fun here. So, um, yeah, Are you at like fun. Florida level? Where are you at? I am. I don't know what the humidity level it is, but I think it's like 80%. It's like in Virginia right now. So, But it's, it's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day. Um, great. So uh, before I start, let's do a quick tell us about your, your first class that you ever taught. Where was that? So it was at the University of Arizona. I was some middle year grad student, I think second year, possibly mm-hmm. third year, maybe in between. Um, and the first class was money and banking. I, I'm a health <laughs> economist. I like development <laughs> economics. I like environmental. Right. I don't know so much about money and banking. So it was a fun challenge. Mm-hmm. And when I was like, hey, I don't really know what I'm going to do for this. They were right. basically like, well, here's some old syllabi. What textbook do you want to use? Uh, so I sort of was, you know, like they provided us with a lot of support at Arizona, but it was definitely like, you right. could do this, go do was it. it. Was that you teaching the full class or you were a TA at that point? Oh, no, I was a full instructor of record. I was a wow. TA before that for other classes. Okay. Yeah. Wow. What about That's, yourself? Uh, my first class that I taught was actually as my job as a professor. During my time at Vanderbilt, we were, you could teach, but I was mostly a TA. Um, and at UVA, my first class was, research and data methods, which is kind of like the second part of the metric sequence for our master's in public policy. And it, I was excited to teach that class because I like teaching metrics for that kind of audience where it's like very applied. Overall, it was a, it was a good experience, um, I would say. But one thing that I was very like, uh, what's the word, uh, stark for me was the difference between you know, in research, you, there are some deadlines because there's a conference, there's an abstract that you need to meet. But in some sense, you kind of kind of manage your time. And if you don't have those deadlines, you can, you can move things around. Whereas with classes and lecture, it was just like one thing after the other. And they're coming, they're coming, they're coming. And it's now we're going to stop until December. And so it was just like this stark thing of like, oh, yes, I have flexibility in my job. But when it comes to classes, I have to have the lectures ready by Monday. Otherwise, there is no lecture. And that was like a huge, like, I guess, wake up call or like realization that like, I need to be on it. And like, and you don't stop until you stop, basically. And that was like a huge, like, uh, learning moment for me. for sure. Yeah. And then the flip side of that is, if you start preparing six months ahead of time, <laughs> you have six full months to prepare. But if yes. you start preparing six days ahead of time, it's still going to happen when it's going to happen. Exactly. No, absolutely. No, you have to think about the marginal value of your time on lecture preparation. Like nothing is ever perfect. Right. And always make it better. Exactly. Absolutely. That's great. That brings me to like the, I think the one tip that I, that I had. So, okay. So you're, you're going to prep for lectures um, and you're going to find that you maybe want to make them like good or real good. And for that, it takes a long time, especially if you're teaching the first time. And sometimes it takes way longer. We're talking about days to prepare for that first lecture. So what I had to do in the middle of my semester was to say, I'm only going to start prepping for the lecture Monday, let's say 9 a.m. 
on, let's say, well, let's do Wednesday. Wednesday, the lecture is Wednesday, 9 a.m. So I would start prepping like either Tuesday morning um, or maybe Monday if I know I needed more time. And so the most amount of time that I would spend on that lecture is that whole day. Um, depending on the lectures, it got reduced, but it was just a, a way to enforce a, a very solid time constraint. So the, the, the good thing of that is that you know that prepping that lecture won't take you more than X number of hours. But the bad part of that is that you are, like I did sometimes feel a little bit stressed about either the quality, you know, I have to finish this by tomorrow and I was feeling really tired. So there are some trade-offs, but um, I think you get, I got used to that. And so that would be kind of like my first tip is like, if you're finding yourself in a place where you're taking so long to create a lecture, then, then constrain yourself into and start a little bit later. Sebastian asked me before this to think of like number one tip. I now have two number one tips. Excellent. Your, your conversation there made me think of something that I think is more important than what I had previously Oh, okay, great. Down. So that's this is what we're here for. Let's, <laughs> yeah. Let's so I think my number one tip would be do not be bashful about asking other people and then using mm, their materials. Oh my gosh, so true. So particularly for your first course, right? So today we're really thinking about the first class, like that yes. like 90 minute lecture or whatever it is. But just beforehand, you hopefully have emailed four people that taught this before, perhaps at other universities. We're like, hey, could you send me all your stuff on this? And then if you saw one that you liked, sure, make it your own thing, do everything, tweak it all your own. But don't be afraid to just do almost exactly what they did. Mm -hmm. As you teach it, you can iterate on that and really make it your own thing in mm -hmm. time. Yeah, absolutely. No, I totally agree. I think you do not need to reinvent the wheel, right? And that's how I see it. And so don't be shy about asking for people for syllabus. And maybe if, if this is a new class, maybe at your program or institution, you can ask to peers at different institutions. The one thing that was super helpful on that regard for me was to, at least for my first class, follow a book more, more, more strictly. So I think for this class, the research of the methods, I follow Real Stat by Bailey and Mastery Metrics by Joshua Angrist. And for each kind of like chapter, I picked one of the books that I thought did it better and then followed that that book um, in terms of slides. And, and that was like a really good training wheels to be like, okay, this is like the very basic format. And then I, as I edit or changes, I can do it. And so then the second or third time that I tell the class, I would change it more and more, but, it, but following the book, I think it's, it's really helpful for that. Yeah. And that, that reduces your prep work for that first class too, right? So like mm -hmm. the amount of time you need to spend perfecting that first lecture, what's well, really minimized when you're like, well, I know the roadmap ahead of me. Mm -hmm. right? So like, mm -hmm. Something that I like to do that I do now that I don't think I did a good job when I first started teaching was on that first day of class, I explained to the students where we're going to go mm. and what portions of the course are malleable. I'm like, okay, it's so like we're right. going to do this in unit one, this in unit two. And then we have this like flex week or flex two weeks. Like maybe we'll spend more time in unit two than we thought, or maybe we'll go faster. Right. Here's this like flex material. And to even know what is like reasonable the first time you're teaching a class. Mm -hmm. like my overreach or underreach uh, and having someone else's materials can be like a really invaluable right. guide. That also ties in with, with something I think it's super important, especially for like first lectures is setting expectations, setting expectations that you have for yourself and that you have for the students and the students should have for you. Like I always, at least in my first lectures, try to tell my students that, where a classroom is a is a human environment and so because we're humans we're in a relationship and so we are going to have expectations from each other um and i tell them what my expectations are for me for them and and i ask them what expectations they, they have for me 
And I think that um, ties into this idea that like, um, you know, it's not like a, it's a contract, but it's like here are expectations. Here's what, what we think the other person maybe should do for us in this relationship. Um, and that we're humans and maybe we're not going to hit all those expectations. Right. And, and that both parties should be understanding of that. Um, I think that's, that's very important to do uh, early on. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a neat way of framing it. And I guess like maybe what we could do now is I could talk about like the things I do right before that very first lecture to prepare mm-hmm. for that lecture. And mm-hmm. then the things we do right at the beginning or in that lecture, sort of as you're discussing now, mm-hmm. um, before you're even talking with them and like setting expectations. Um, for me, something that's really important is to make sure that I'm going to be comfortable in that space and that I'm not going to be like sort of blindsided right. by, by something. Right. So you'd be surprised if you haven't taught before, you won't be surprised at all if you have. Uh, various rooms have various <laughs> pros and cons, right. right? Not every room is perfect. Very few rooms are. Uh, mm-hmm. And if they are perfect, someone else has claimed them. Right. Um, <laughs> so you may end up teaching in a room, like the very first class I taught at IU, that doesn't have a whiteboard or a writing surface. Oh. Uh, you know, so that was rare, but I knew that <laughs> ahead of time, right? So I could work with it. Wow. But it was, a, I, when I went to view the room in person, I was like, oh, this looks like an Apple store meets a Starbucks. Wow. It was phenomenal right. looking. Right, yeah. right. But they didn't have the basics, right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. the basics. right. So I changed. It was more PowerPoint. I had to teach right. with like sort of those over, like a digital overheady mm-hmm. type thing. Uh, but it was fine, right? Because I knew what to expect. So I had the right material going into it. Um, whereas I've taught in rooms that are chalkboards. Mm. So I come to class with chalk and things like that. So just having that type of preparation, knowing what materials you're going to need to yeah. bring, knowing how many seats are going to be mm-hmm. there. So mm-hmm. I've taught in a room before that was so cramped that it did have 70 seats and there were mm-hmm. like 70 students, but it was obvious that students were going to be sitting in like the hallway and in the back wow. and the places like they shouldn't. Right. So like what do you do? That, that you, did you ask somebody, hey, can we change the room? Or So I asked to change the room. We weren't able to, but then I just sort of made sure there were excess chairs available. Yeah, that's super important. And I was very nervous for my first lecture, I remember. What I did is I, I practiced, like if I were like a seminar talk, like I think the night before or two nights before. And that was my way of going to the room, being like, oh, this is how it's going to look. And like projecting my voice to making sure that everyone hears me. Even if, even if that room had like, let's say everything in your university or the place you're teaching, it just makes you more comfortable if you're a nervous person because you're like, okay, I know this space, right? And I think in the same way that we tell some of our students, practice as if you were taking a test and like, you know, silent your phone and everything, getting yourself in that environment so that your brain gets used to, it's very important. Yeah, exactly. And I think just sort of that old mantra, like dress for success or like make them do do whatever you need mentally to make it happen. This is all sort of like feeds into that. Right. So like I prepare for the first day of class by like having printed lecture notes and like Mm. every five lines on the first couple lecture notes is like a box that I need to check if there's like a topic I'm going to talk about or like things that are like designed to protect myself from skipping certain Mm -hmm. things. Unnecessary. But it's mm-hmm. a small little thing I can do to sort of cut down on the jitters, right? Right. And, and now, like, you've taught enough times and I've taught that I don't get, like, nervous walking into a room anymore, but I still do most of these things. Right. Like, you know, I don't go and practice a whole lecture beforehand anymore. Right, right, right. I yeah. still go and I make sure, okay, are there enough seats? Right. Is there going to be a USB port? Is right. there a Mac or a PC? You know, just little yeah. things that I've sort of... 
And also, even I, like even now, when I go to my classrooms, I go a little bit early to set up because I know it takes me, you know, a solid maybe seven minutes to like, because I prop my iPad and I connect this and I download the slides on this computer and so on. Um, so absolutely. Wait, one quick aside. What was your thought about dressing uh, for your first class? So my personal rule of thumb has always been, I want to make myself mentally comfortable to be mm-hmm. in a position of like, not like authority, like, but you know, right. but in a position where I don't feel like inspired to respect. Yeah. But I, I don't want to like be self-conscious. So for me to feel sort of like, I, I don't mind wearing a suit, but I don't wear a suit when I teach. Cause that would make me feel kind of silly. Right. right? I don't teach mm-hmm. in an MBA program, but maybe right. if I were in an MBA program, I would do that. So I try to wear just slacks and a button down. Mm-hmm. Right. Or if it's summer, like a nice polo and like, just dress like sort of business casual towards nice. Uh, I don't actually think that's necessary or some mm-hmm. rule to do that. Um, whatever right. it is that makes you feel like you're going to be the most effective instructor mm-hmm. and comfortable. Yeah. So like, um, I don't wear uncomfortable dress shoes, even if they might look nice. Right. But right. I also don't wear Crocs. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I never wear Crocs. I mean, if our listeners wear Crocs, I'm sorry about that. That's a bad choice. Um, <laughs> just maximizing every amount of utility. Right. Yeah. I kind of always, or my cohorts look young and or people think I'm, I'm younger or like I've been several times confused with being a student or being, you know, staff. And maybe that's for other reasons than my potential age. And so I, I uh, do dress uh, in order to like inspire confidence a lot also in myself like i want to look in the mirror and be like okay i feel like i'm a professor and i'm going to teach a class some people you know they're very confident about themselves they don't need that i i also think well you know i'm going to work and this is a place where i want to respect the students and i don't i don't know why maybe that's like a bad thing that i have in my head maybe that's just too traditional but but in some sense it's that that kind of idea and then no, I, I think whatever helps you right yeah like, exactly it's like cody wing a guy that i work with uh-huh. i know when he's going to teach because he puts on his sport coat. Oh, like Cody, when he's presenting or when he's going to go teach, he's yeah. popping on a sport coat. Okay, right? I like that. So it's that. just like, like now I teach, right? Like, how I'm, do you, how do you, how do you reach when you extend your hand? Is that comfortable still? I don't know. Maybe it's a very elastine sport yeah. coat. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't actually been in one of his classes. He does great when he presents with it. Right. He's not like writing on the board often when he presents. So. Right. Oh, that also um, in Vanderbilt, they have like a So in most schools, I think they have like things like Center for Teaching. And, and some of them are, can be really helpful when it comes to tips and first time teaching. So check, check that resource on your university. One thing that I remember in Vanderbilt, they teach us is how to race on a blackboard. And so if you race <laughs> from like left to right, your body is actually moving more and you could be like kind of like shaking your butt towards your students. But if, if you race like up to down, then that's like less center of gravity and you don't move yourself around. So even like those details, I was like, wow, that kind of like, it's interesting that they know that sort of stuff. So that, that gives me post-traumatic stress syndrome. Oh no. <laughs> I, I went to a like all boys Catholic prep school where we would like mm. do push-ups and like, it was like, you know, like aggressive punishments for things. Okay. There was this old priest there, Father Bennett, that if you didn't erase up and down, he would yell at you uh, and make you do push-ups. Oh gosh, that's yeah. so, that's so I always erase up and down. Yeah, good. That's, that's all it's good to know. Um, what other stuff do you uh, uh, think people should be mindful about? So some of this blends, like so I talked about before, like what do you do before the first class and what do you do during mm-hmm. the first class? So some of this is like a little bit in between, mm-hmm. but the way that I typically begin a class is I sort of show up with my lecture notes. Um, 
And I have a checklist for like everything that I'm going to bring at the top of my lecture notes. Like, Mm -hmm. do I have chalk? Do I have an eraser? Or do I have whiteboard markers? Like that's necessary for that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I make sure I have all that before I leave my office or whatever it is I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then when I arrive, I make sure I still have it, right? Like, so I just sort of look for things. I set it up, as you said, like a couple minutes beforehand. Right. Uh, And then I sort of just get into my spiel where I tell them what class it is. I've had students that have, gone to the wrong class yeah, so right? true like yeah you don't like just want to help out um yeah. <laughs> don't get mad if kids come in a little bit late the first day people are figuring out where they're going yeah, welcome them and then i just try to get to know them for the first i don't know 20 mm-hmm. minutes or so and how, how do you do that so i have this exercise that i do in basically every class where i um i have them fill out a note card often it's electronic sometimes it's like a literal note card uh and i fill out one too so I pass mm. out like a blank index oh, cool. card or I give them like mm. a top hat or some electronic link or something like that. And it's like, what's your name as it appears on canvas? Do you have any preferences for how I address you? Whether that's like, you yeah. know, Alexander pronouns. versus Alex or pronouns or, mm-hmm. you know, some people with um, international students have American names, analogs they want to use right. instead. Uh, just stuff like that. Western. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Try try not to make a big deal of anything. Uh, and I also try not to address students like coldly before they tell me that type of information. Mm. Um, but then that's sort of like the least important part of it. So for me, the most important part of the note card is like, where are you from? Mm-hmm. What, why are you in school? Mm. Uh, and then maybe a couple questions, like if it's in a class where I'm going to use some math, like have, which math classes have you had? Right. And then I want to get basically a lot of personal information that is like, first of all, acceptable to share. Yeah. Also, we'll like make examples and things more fun or maybe there's portions right. of the class. Like, so like one time I taught a class, I, I often teach a class on insurance and there were like a couple kids in my class that had motorcycles. Okay. So we did a bunch of motorcycle insurance examples. Now like, huh. probably didn't like make or break the class for them, but it made it like just right. an ed. A little bit more interested. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. That's interesting. That's cool. I, I think the way I have been doing that, maybe it's not as personal, but I ask, um, you know, I, I call call students on the first day and I ask them, what have you heard about this class? And that gives oh. me an idea of like what expectations like, oh, I heard it. It's like really hard or I heard it's like, you know, this, this and that. Um, uh, and then I ask them like, what, you know, what is, what is, what, I don't know if this is the right question, but like, what kind of like fears you have about this class? And they're like, oh, I fear that I'm going to use data a lot and I'm really bad at data. And then, uh, and then I kind of like continue to get to know that person in particular and then jump around and, and tell people, you know, that's, that's neat. About that. yeah. So it's like, it's not as direct, I would say, but, um, but it gets, it combines the point of like, I'm trying to understand what do my students think about this class and if they're feeling fearful or if they're feeling, oh, and I asked them, what are you excited about in this class? And that's actually a really interesting question because, yeah, exactly. I mean, it balances out, but at the same time, it like, um, it, it tells me why they, some people, you know, some reasons why they want to be in this class. Um, it's a required class, so they have to take it. <laughs> and some people say that, you know. I'm excited um, to graduate. Right, exactly. I'm excited to graduate. Um, but I think that's just a way of me getting to know uh, what they think, which is different, I think, from maybe what you're doing, which is get to know them more personally. That seems a lot. Of well, I, no, a lot of my questions are more boring uh, versions of yours. So okay. I like what you're doing there. I think that is like putting them on the spot is getting to know them personally. Like one of my mm. questions, is like, what do you want to get out of this class? Right. And 50% of the students just write an A. 
right? Oh, so like, no. like, oh, re- yeah. oh, wow. <laughs> that is not what I was thinking when you asked that question. Yeah, but, like the, but it's because it's written. So I think by you asking wow. them, like, they, maybe like one student would say that, but then like the next would like not right. make a joke. Right. And like want right. to actually, that's interesting. although maybe I mean, that's true. One, one year I sent them a Google survey and I asked them, what grade do you think you're going to get in this class? <laughs> and, and I was very surprised that the distribution was, was not as different as the final grade. You compared it to their actual final grades? Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. And I was like, wow, okay, okay. People were some, I, well, but I don't know if people were honest or it just happens to be that the distribution, you know, it was the same, so. I, I like that idea that you discussed quite a bit, where like your expectations for the course. Mm-hmm. I had this Bulgarian professor once, I've never been brave enough to do this, but he read, <laughs> I think as a selection mechanism, all of his negative rate my professor reviews to the class on the first day. And it was hilarious. Oh God. But a bunch of people did drop the class. Really? Like, I think it had oh. like a positive selection of stu- on students. I see. So like if this is this is the worst this is the worst expectation, so everything goes uh, that's actually really interesting. Maybe. Yeah. He wow. he had this really thick accent and a very dry sense of humor. So like if you weren't paying attention. Was he like a like a Bond villain kind of accent? <laughs> I don't think like Bond villain, but more like like you would have thought he was the most boring guy ever unless you were paying mm. attention to him. And then you realize mm. he's secretly, he's like low-key hilarious. Mm. So. Interesting. This also reminds me of another I think, tip. So I, don't, I, don't, I think this maybe varies on cultures of universities and maybe like some teaching or focused institutions prefer or not. But I like to do a lot of cold calling when I'm in class. Um, and, I, and I tell them, and again, this is about certain expectations. I tell them like, I'm not cold calling so I can know who is right and who's wrong. I'm called calling to understand how everyone is understanding things. And so it's like a lot more about, like, I don't, I tell them like, I don't care if you're right or wrong. Just try to give me an answer to what's the most creative answer or where are you stuck if you can't give me an answer. Um, and that's been, uh, I think, an interesting way of also getting to know some of my students that some of them feel super confident and want to answer all the questions and some of them don't. And, and I want to know where am I failing them if, if I am. Else, so like, on day one, you set that expectation, right? On day one, I try to okay, set that expectation. that's good. And like a lot of the students, the feedback is they get really nervous from the cold calling in the first few days. But by the you know, fourth lecture, they're, kind of, they're expected and they're used to. And by the fourth lecture, the fourth lecture, like so many people have gotten, let's say, wrong answers that they feel comfortable being wrong. And that's something that like, is so important for me that I tell them like, I want you to be comfortable being wrong because otherwise I'm only going to think that you're catering me, you're catering to me and you're not really going to learn from that. Yeah. And I think like the, so with like going back to this idea, which this is directly related to like, what do you do in the first lecture? Setting expectations is important, Mm -hmm. but also like setting the expectation, like you don't have a monopoly on knowledge. Oh my gosh. Someone in that room maybe was in a Peace Corps and they like know everything about this thing. And maybe something you said is just wrong Mm -hmm. and they should be comfortable Yes. Having a conversation with you about yes. that too. So. Yeah. And, and you, uh, faculty, should be comfortable with getting educated by one of your students. That's really important to, like, I think, be humble um, about, like, your students may know more about one topic because they've gone into the field and worked there. But I think it's cool on the first day of class to, like, set that expectation and then, like, set the expectation of, like, what is the stuff you're going to cover in this class? Yeah. How Roadmap. are you going to cover it? How are they going to be evaluated? You mm-hmm. know, not just sitting and reading the syllabus, but by like showing them the canvas page and being like, here's how you interact with it. Like right. this type of just keeping enthusiasm mm-hmm. at, at least at a medium level, if not high at right. all times. 
Right. I think, and you just brought up um, another good point, which is about evaluations. Um, so I think like, you know, assignments and grading, that's something that students obviously care about a lot. And I think it's, I think it's good to plan for like a lot of policies, like what happens, think about what happens if a student uh, turns in a late assignment, when are you going to, you know, what happens if they don't turn in an assignment, what happens if they're sick and like, uh, and, and I think some people would say that like, you can start treating those as, as, as they come. But I found out that it's better to be like, here's my structure policy and it applies. And then, and that sets precedent for any other thing. And then if there is anything that is like more special than that, then sure, I'll deal in a, in a case by case. I think it's important to, to think about those scenarios. It's like, what happens if this, this, if they, you know, don't show up to the exam, et cetera. And importantly, like you're not going to design a perfect policy. And if you think you've had, mm-hmm. wait till you see how creative your students get. Oh my gosh. So true. So true. And this is where, this is really interesting. This is where I once heard a phrase about um, syllabus. Some, sometimes they're reactionary. There are things that people put in there because there are things that happened in the past. Um, and so you, when you do that, I think you want to be careful not to be too, I don't know if strict is the right word, but like just, just have, just make some understanding that, you know, things can happen in a student's life and you may want to accommodate. Yeah. That, it's but type one, type two error. Like if mm-hmm. you make a somewhat lenient policy, like, people will take advantage of it. Right. But also people who have serious emergencies right. issues come up will be able to like be taken yeah. care of. Like coronavirus is a good example. I looked at my oh grade my distribution gosh. when I was like, submitting my tenure thing. Like, yeah. oh, I gave a lot more A's last semester than I normally right. did. It wasn't <laughs> intentional. But like, right. it's because the exams, they had a really long time to take them. And like, like maybe students learned more. I don't know, because they were sitting at home with nothing else to do. Like, right. But to try to design like a perfect cheating, mm. like a system where they could never cheat on a test or something like in the yeah. coronavirus pandemic, you're like, huh, I yeah, guess I'm no. going to have to let that one slide. Like at the expense right. of like just hoping they log in and watch the Absolutely. lecture. The other thing too, that I found out it was difficult when I was writing homework and exams is that I would write a question and then I would ask my TA if I had one or maybe a peer to read it. and then they would give me a totally different answer from what I wanted. And one thing that happens when you quote unquote know a lot and asking questions is that you think you're asking a good question, but you only understand it because you know exactly what you're trying to get at. So I think it's super important um, if you have a homework or exam to have some other eyes, whether if you have access to TAs, it's TAs, whether you have access to peer like that are juniors that want to do it for you um, and then you feel like they're not going to judge you. And to get that feedback, because that's super important in creating like good homeworks and answer keys. And also like, you know, give yourself a break. You're not going to create, you know, the perfect homework from the beginning. But um, so my wife had a really good suggestion here. So like, you don't even need a peer to do this. Um, there are online like grade level reading estimates. You could like type, put in a body oh, of really? text and it'll be like, this is a fourth grade level. This is a college level. Hmm. And at Arizona in particular, I taught an enormous number, an enormous percent of international students. Okay. And you know, my class isn't a vocabulary class, right? but like, I think something that happens when you're first teaching, you want to like make it complicated or make it perfect. Right. So you use a lot of unnecessary big words, <laughs> or like sometimes even incorrect. Big words. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, right. Like, but it, you don't want your questions to accidentally be testing like mastery of English, or you don't want to increase the difficulty level yeah. for no reason. Mm-hmm. So she suggested, I just run my exams and my homeworks through a reading oh, level detector. And I did that and I realized I could make this simpler. I could right. make it clearer. 
And right. that sort of told me the points, like easy margins on which to improve. That's interesting. That's, and do you remember that website? Or we'll try to put it I, in I just Googled it then. And then like okay. I, I use, I have an enormous question bank now for some of my classes. Right. But whenever I write a new question, I sort of run it you through. Put it there. And okay. I sort of ad hoc Google it at the time. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. By giving this tip also of like, you know, submit it somewhere else or have somebody else read it. You should know that that also means like if homework, if you need to put out the homework on a Wednesday, you probably want to get comments before that, which means you need to be ready like a week before, which means you need to start it like uh, two, you know, one week or two weeks before that. So like I, this is goes back to to the first thing that I was think that I was uh, talking about, which is I was just so surprised when I teach my first class how even though homework three was four weeks ago, I already had to start thinking about it because otherwise I was just going to get behind because then I needed to add the answer key for homework too, but I also needed to prep the lectures and I was needing to think about the exam. So like just, you know, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know what the tip is here if, if it's to start early, but just, or be mindful. It's going to take a while. You need to like plan four weeks ahead maybe or something. I think that's why it's really useful to have other people's materials. Yeah. And then just be comfortable being like, this class won't be 100% my own the first time I teach it. And I'll be like, keep a running list of stuff that you do slightly differently or make some improvements, right? But like just, because then you don't need to like, all that type of stuff is sort of uh, mitigated to some extent. Um, Now on that first class, like I do try to tell them like, hey, here are deadlines that I will not change for any reason. You have an exam on this day. Mm -hmm. But homework too, maybe in like, so one of my classes, it's, I don't know when it's going to be due, probably when we get to this chapter. Mm-hmm. But I tell them that right up front, like right. what things are malleable and what things aren't. And uh, I think it goes over pretty well. And then uh. as soon as we go through all that material, mm-hmm. I tell them things that I learned from me having taught this class previously. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, in your first time you've ever taught this, you don't want to like advertise, you don't want to sing from the rooftops like, I am right. I'm a new. Brand new. Yeah. People will attack you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Throw the first stone. Right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. But I think it is helpful when you sort of present yourself to students as being willing to learn from feedback. So maybe right. that's something you could do on your first day. Be like, hey, if you have any questions or comments about anything, send mm-hmm. me an email, drop me a line. Uh, there are things on Top Hat. Uh, if you use Top Hat or Canvas, where you could create a discussion board after every lecture where you say, right hey, feel free to put comments here and post them there. So I think setting that expectation from day one that you're open to feedback. Right. Um, not that you're right. going to change every aspect of your course. Right. You're willing to hear about it is, is important. Yeah. And I think, and the, you know, it's so important. It's also such a careful line because sometimes students will just give you feedback even though you're not even asking for it. And that obviously, you know, uh, uh, changes by, you know, gender and, and racial lines. And I know some of my women colleagues would get comments that I feel like I wouldn't. And, and so I think, you know, be mindful too, that there is that, that margin happening as well. Um, we're obviously two, two dudes talking about this, but, um, but you know, whatever, it, it, if it's, if there's a way you can say a moment for feedback without, you know, having students take advantage of that, I guess. But yeah. Yeah. And I think that's also like, be aware of that the students are people and that your course is not necessarily the most important thing going on mm-hmm. in their life. Mm-hmm. So if they do try to take advantage of you in some way, which some students invariably will, right. it's not a reflection on you. There's a college mm-hmm. student that maybe didn't prepare and is scared right. now. Maybe yeah. might lose a scholarship or get kicked out of the country. And like they're trying to right. sort of correct this other mistake, maybe by compounding on it, but right. it's not necessarily a reflection on you. Right. Uh, that being said, I think you're totally right. You know, certain groups get 
disproportionately at least uh, I don't know if, like, yeah, taken advantage of is the appropriate word, but like students can be uh, meaner. <laughs> yeah, me, yeah, I was trying to think of a nice way yeah. to say meaner. Yeah. Right? <laughs> the end, you'll get you get feedback from student reviews, and man, like this is one the one thing that I want to say that advice is like don't think don't take things so personal, but that's so hard to actually internalize. Because I remember my first class at the end, I had very nice comments and I was very happy over that, but I did also have bad comments. And I was just like, why am I spending so much time on those bad comments when I have other really nice comments that I could spend time on? And uh, that, you know, that's just the nature. And, and I don't know, have you, have you figured out a way of dealing with that? That's, that's nifty. You don't read them. <laughs> just time. No, I, I actually think it's extremely important to read them. I see people say feedback online on Twitter, like don't read any of the negative ones or have someone else read them. Right. I'm sure that's reasonable, but I've learned a lot from reading even mean-spirited evaluations of myself. Mm. Okay. Um, if you just try to interpret them as charitably as possible, <laughs> right? Like just like right. what is like the grain that I can get, but it, it stings less as time elapses. Right. So, I so you don't read them until like what, a couple of months or? I read them minutes after I receive them in my inbox. Oh, okay. I get, I get grumpy and then I read them again <laughs> later on. Oh, with a cool head. With a cool head. I see. Yeah. And read the positive ones, right? Right. Too. So like yeah. there's not just a negative comment in there. There's positive right. stuff. And I think what's important is that, you know, you, this is a process. You'll slowly sort of get better at it. Yeah. And just to try to take that seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also we didn't talk about this, but I teach stuff on the first day. So just like, oh, you do. I, oh, I, I definitely I, always teach stuff. Okay. I want to okay. set the, like, this is a class. Right? Okay. So I, it might be something stupid. It might be something okay. si- like easy, mm-hmm. but I leave the first class with something that I think is like interesting and cool. It might not be like mm. the central point of the course or something, but like okay. I write things on the board. Material is passed out questions are asked. Wow. Okay. Right. Wow. So that's awesome. I, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I don't teach in my first class, you know, I, I spend time talking about the class, the setup, whatever expectations. What I do is I do spend a lot of time as if it were a lecture motivating the class of like, why do I think you should be excited about the things we're about to learn? And in the, in the way I think about it in my head is I think about it as a movie trailer. Like, what are the, the set of things I could say to be like, this fall you would learn about <laughs> IV regression? You know, like obviously in a way You should that make is, that trailer for your class. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I felt uh, that it works, especially because it's a stats class. People come in with such a like, oh my gosh, you know, some people, I guess, stats. And then I want them to, and I, and I think they do leave or excited about like, oh, this may actually be super cool that I'm going to learn all this stuff. Um, because it's not, it's to me as a faculty or a professor, it's very easy teaching a motivated student, but not everyone in your classroom is going to come in motivated. So I, at least I think on the first lecture, I try to motivate as much as I can. And obviously I don't get everyone, but like on the margin, I get some people there, but that's what I do in my first class. Yeah. And I think like you definitely have this in interpersonal interaction. <laughs> so I assume you do in the classroom as well, but like just having an enthusiasm yeah. for the material even if it's statistics, like I teach statistics right. as well, can like bring a marginal motivated, like a student on the margin of being motivated or not, mm-hmm. just over that edge. Yeah. And ideally you'd get everybody, but you won't. Some right. per- people are just like, I'm here because I have to be here and I hate you because you're in the front of the room. You're yeah. never going to change that, yeah. right? Like that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like that person can have that feeling. But if you have a couple of students that are into it, 
Right. It, it's like, it can really make your, the difference between like yeah. feeling good after a class and feeling like I need to go, like, just look right. at a wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One last tip before we head out. One thing also I did not realize is that after you teach lectures, you may feel really tired. So don't expect yourself that immediately you're going to go back into research. Like you are going to, prom- maybe not for everyone, but you're going to need a break and that's okay. You know? Yeah. I, so, and I try to stack my classes for that reason. Like I teach Tuesdays right. and Thursdays or Mondays and Wednesdays, depending on the semester. Mm-hmm. If I taught every morning at 9am, you could light my semester on fire, basically. <laughs> you know, just like take a nap in my office afterwards. Be like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, yeah, no, it's very, I, I was so surprised. I was like, why am I so tired? I just stand and talk for 45 minutes. And it's, you have an Apple watch, right? Uh, no, I have a, a different, but a smart, but you watch, have the, yeah. like the, it's like a smart yeah, 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 Fitbit yeah. watch. Yeah. Uh-huh. So my wife always like, we like, like, Oh, See did the... you exercise today or not? And on yeah. teaching days, she's like, you get that extra secret. Like, like she's, it's like cheating. Because yeah, my heart rate yeah. is up the whole time. It's like yes. I'm exercising. It's performing. Like one of those things yeah. that I realized, like, wow, it's like a doing like a mini play or at least the way I approach classes. It's like, I just like finish a show, you know, and, and, and I'm a little bit tired from that. But yeah, for sure. Yeah, not that I think we're funny at all. Yeah. But I do think that when I watch like shows about being a stand-up comedian, mm-hmm. I feel like we have the hardest thing down, being able right. to stand in front of a crowd and bomb. <laughs> and I just bomb, get up and do God. it, you know, like. So true. Oh gosh, yeah. We should maybe have another episode about like how to how to recover from cold class where you bomb because I oh I have really good stories about bombing classes yeah. for sure. <laughs> um, it happens. It's real. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so let's wrap up with our recommendations for the week. Um, this is where we'll recommend some cool thing that we've seen that maybe we want to share. I'll I'll start for this one. Um, I. I was uh, really excited to read, uh, I think it's, so it's Jason Abelwag, Mauricio Castellas Bravo, Peter Hull, and Amanda Stark, there we go, sorry, um, on mortality effects on choice across private health insurance plans. They put this on Twitter, people talked about it. I thought it was a, a, a really cool, nifty paper that makes a contribution. Some people may read and be like, duh, we know this. I, I guess maybe I'm so not one of those. I, I haven't read it, but I saw the, the blurb is the mm-hmm. basic idea just that some insurance plans suck and they kill you and some are really good. Yes. And that people basically, essentially, I think don't know this information and they, and they think if you think this information is quality, those plans have star ratings, but those star ratings are uncorrelated with that mortality of that plan. So it's, pe- it's basically people choosing like between the stars and let's say like how much things cost. And then they end up in a shitty plan and that could like increase my mortality. Um, and, and one of the, the conclusions from that paper is like, if we cut off the, you know, 5% worse plans, we could be saving like a hundred thousand lives, which is like, what? Um, but anyways, I mean, the paper is much more complicated than I'm making it seem. And Jason and Peter, I think have done threats. So that's my recommendation for the week. Alex, what do you have for us? So I picked a more on theme recommendation Ooh, uh, oh, for this week. For so, in addition That's to great. my two tips, which are checklists <laughs> are your friend. Yeah. Even if you think they're dweeby, use them uh, <laughs> and use other people's material. Don't be bashful. So those are the two tips right. for how to teach mm-hmm. in first class is you should go check out if you're interested in teaching Robert Talbert. And I'll put a oh. link in the show notes. Okay. Um, he is, um, I should have <laughs> memorized which uh, university he's Why at. Why are you not ready for this podcast? Yeah, yeah he's an instructor <laughs> at some university and I follow him on Twitter and I regularly okay. check out his website because he has really cool thoughts on teaching. Okay. And 
he is a big advocate of flipped classrooms. I'm, oh yeah. I don't flip mm-hmm. classrooms or do things like that, but I find his thoughts on teaching and grading and um, processes in general uh, concise and informative. Cool. Super cool. What's his name again? His name's Robert Talbert. Robert um, Talbert. And then his website is, which I'll put a link to this is rtalbert.org and it's okay. T-A-L-B-E-R-T. Okay. Gotcha. Super cool. Great. Also, I, I, I forgot to say this, but I think it's important. The checklist is important when you come into class, all the things that you need, but also when you leave the class, because I've left so much stuff and because I forget, I'm like, oh, I forgot to, to take this from or the USB or whatever. So it could also be like a nice exit strategy of like, do I have all yeah, And it's not just stuff? for stuff too. It's for yeah. like, I want to make sure I talk about these four things. Mm-hmm. And I guess we could like double down on the recommendations. Atul Gawande has the dweeb. Oh the dweebiest book ever, the checklist manifesto. And oh, I heard about this. Yes. I read it. And I, first I was like, this is dumb. And right. <laughs> I actually find that I use this stuff from there all the time. That's awesome. So I've revised my recommendation to five stars on that book since okay. I actually use this stuff. Okay. I need to read that book. I'm very excited for that. Basically checklists. Good. Checklists are good. Yeah. For complicated projects. Great. Great. Uh, well, hopefully that was a helpful conversation and you got something out of it. Um, We'll be talking about all these other and different topics about being a researcher and a professor. um, And hopefully you can join us in our next episodes. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Sebastian.